I should gain an interest in the Father's love, right? That is the, the definition, the illustration of the love of, of God is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And I think about that verse that Brother Alvin just quoted. To, be, to know the love of God that passes knowledge, right? And the idea there, I think, is God wants us to, to, to continue to, re- to grow in our relationship with him, which teaches us that we'll never comprehend this side of eternity and probably for eternity future how much God loves us and what true love really is. And yet, he tells us to love others the way he loves us. Still room to improve. How about you? <laughs> That's right. All right, you got your Bible tonight? Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, okay? Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we finished off last Sunday morning. And so you may be, if you're taking notes or following along with these um, slides that I'm putting up, you may notice it says part 3 again, and you're thinking, I thought part 3 was last Sunday morning. All right, well, this is just continuing last Sunday morning, okay? And so we are... In chapter 1, we were in verse 9 last Sunday morning, and let's kind of just remind ourselves what we were talking about, all right? This is one of the exciting parts, I think, one of the most exciting parts of the book of Revelation, and I just went black. There we go. That's all right. All right. If we, oh, there it is. I'm not working there. You want to pull me out, uh, pull that little thing out of the side. There it goes. You going to advance me, Luke? You all right with doing that? All right. So we're talking about Jesus at work in his church. And uh, who can remind me what's the purpose of Revelation? We'll just pretend like this is Sunday school class, okay? So I can ask questions, you can answer, all right? To reveal Jesus, right? The book of Revelation's number one purpose is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we read through the book of Revelation, and really it's true on every page, whether it's revealing the judgment of Christ in his holiness and his zeal for purity as he, as, he, as he purifies the earth, or if it's right here in chapter 1. And what, what fitting, what better way for John, and really for Jesus, to start the book of Revelation, other than the preliminary things, the introduction and the greeting, than to literally begin the book with a vision of Jesus. And that's exactly what we get to study tonight. We started in verse 9 last Sunday morning talking about this, Jesus at work in his church. What, are, what would be the most um, logical way that Jesus works in his church? Well, we would say it would be you and me, right? We are the body of Christ. And that's not just a, a, a saying, right? We are literally the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth to the world around us, where we are supposed to take the message of Christ to the world around us. We're supposed to be Christ to the world, ambassadors in his stead, right? That's what Paul said in Corinthians. So last Sunday morning, we talked about verse number nine. Here's John's personal testimony, right? John's personal testimony is that I not only claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but I am living like a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 with me again, will you, tonight? I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we talked about those three things last Sunday morning, that John claimed to be a follower of Christ, that he lived like a follower of Christ, and that he loved 
like a follower of Christ. He loved the way Christ loved, those who weren't lovely, those who weren't loving him in return. But let me ask you this question tonight. If all we had on the earth, if all Jesus had on the earth to work and to do his work were just us, how much would get done? You know, I mean, we might think we're pretty hardworking people, right? And we might be able to do a few things, but here's the good news about tonight, okay? Jesus isn't expecting us to do all the work on the earth. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Some people would take a statement like that and say, well, then I'll just sit back and do nothing, all right? We just got done saying, and the scripture teaches, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, right? But tonight, the exciting thing is this. John, verse number 9, is displaying God's human instrument, right? Human's involvement in his work. But verse 10, through the end of chapter 1, describes to us and displays for us Christ's involvement in his church. All right, look at verse number 10 with me tonight, will you? I was in the Spirit, John says, on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Excuse me, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Tonight, I want us to look at two things, really, and it's this. Number one, I want us to see John's supernatural experience and John's in, literally indescribable vision, all right? And they're both about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll look at it, all right? Father, I pray tonight that as we look at this passage, Lord, I pray that we would not be intimidated by it. And yet, Lord, at the same time, I pray we would not read too much into it. But I pray, Lord, we walk away with what it is you want us to learn from this passage. Father, God, you are the one that showed this to John and specifically asked him to write down what it is that he saw and to give it to us. And so I know tonight, Lord, there are truths in this vision that you want Lord, I believe literally to change the way we live. Lord, to change the way we think. To change the way we serve and work for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would truly change us tonight for your honor and for your glory. And Father, with Alvin tonight, we join in worshiping and praising and thanking you for the awesome love that you have for the people of this earth. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, thank you that you are a risen Savior and that you are still involved in our lives today in a very active way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So tonight, let's start with, this would be Roman numeral two if you're taking notes. Roman numeral two under Jesus at work in his church, and it's John's supernatural experience. Look at verse number 10 with me, all right? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, all right? Hey, we're here in the Lord's day, on the Lord's Day, right? The Lord's Day by the second century after Christ had become another common name for the first day of the week, Sunday. 
as, as we transition from the Old Testament Sabbath to the New Testament first day of the week, Lord's Day, the day that Jesus resurrected and it became the pattern of the apostles and then became the pattern, of course, of the church today. Here's John. And here he is, I believe, literally, worshiping the Lord. Maybe he's having his own personal quiet time on the Lord's Day on the island of Patmos. Okay, but I think we shouldn't uh, assume that what's about to happen to John is normal, right? In fact, that little statement there in verse number one, I was in the Spirit, all right? If we don't have time to do this, but if we went through the book of Revelation, maybe you want to write down, there's four times in the book of Revelation where this statement is used. It's right here in verse number 10, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 17, verse 3, and chapter 21, verse 10. I'll say this one more time. Chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 17, verse 3, and chapter 21, verse number 10. Okay? How many remember what the, uh, Paul said about his experience in getting to have that, the, the privilege of being an apostle born out of due time? Remember that? Remember what John, Paul said about his experience? He said, here's the only way I can explain it. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I can't tell you if I was in the body or if I was out of the body. Remember that? He says, all I know is I was taken up to the third heaven and I got to see Jesus and spend time with Jesus. Here's a human way of trying to explain something that is extraordinary, supernatural, right? This is something that, this is not, um, this is not the filling of the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. This is a supernatural, and here's the point, one-time event, okay? This was the last revelation that God has given man on this earth, Men do not receive new revelations. There are, whole denomina- there are whole religions built on folks supposedly receiving new revelations from Jesus. All right, listen, that does not happen. The warning at the end of the book of Revelation is don't add anything else to this. Don't take anything else away from this. Cursings apply, right? And so we ought to take that very serious. But the point is, John is experiencing something here that is absolutely supernatural. Okay, now look down at verse number 10 again. He says, on the Lord's day, I'm in the, the Lord takes me on this supernatural journey behind me, a great voice as of a what? Now, does it say he heard a trumpet? No, okay? So here's sort of one of our first interpretation clues in the book of Revelation. As, as you're reading through the book of Revelation and you read things like something that was like this or as this, that helps us understand, doesn't it? In interpretation, okay, this wasn't, he didn't hear a trumpet blasting. He heard a voice, and the only way he can describe it to you and me is, it was like a trumpet. You say, well, what's a trumpet like? Well, I play a trumpet. I thought about getting my trumpet out tonight and blasting it, but I don't think I need to do that, right? Okay, you tell me, is a trumpet, um, is a trumpet typically a, a soft instrument or a powerful instrument? Okay, how many of you ever seen a marching band at a football game? You want to hear a powerful trumpet? Go listen to a marching band play at a football game. I mean, it's, you know, when, you, when you're playing a concert band or in a symphony, you're supposed to be melodic. I think those guys just play as loud as they possibly can. I mean, they, they almost feel like you can blow your hair back. But a trumpet is, is, a, is a very distinct, powerful, authoritative instrument, isn't it? And here's the voice. That, the only way John can describe it to you and me is this was a voice that sounded like a trumpet. Okay, you know what I think when I read that? This is no longer the voice of the lamb 
right? This is no longer the, the cries of a baby in a manger. This is not even the, 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 the weak, fainting cries of a man hanging on a cross. This is the voice of God that John is hearing. It's a voice like a trumpet that is crying out to him. And what's it telling him to do? Verse number 11. Here's what the voice is saying. I am an Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a what? Write in a book. In other words, John, you're about to see something that is so important, you need to write it down. And, and, and by the way, here, here explains to us why so much of the book of Revelation is odd, because it's, it's, a, it's something he's seeing, right? He's not, it's, not, um, it's not God giving him very specific words to write down on a page. It's God giving John very specific visions to write down on a page. And so as we read through these, we see all this imagery that John is using. But the point is, John, you, this is something that's so important that you have to write it down. And, and here, who's the one asking him to do this? God says, I want you to write down what you're going to see, and I want you to send it to the church. Now, he specifically mentions the seven churches again, doesn't he? Because he wanted those specific seven churches to get this message. But we understand it's not just those seven churches, and we've already made this point, so we won't rehash it for time. But those seven churches represent the church as a whole, the body of Christ. John, I want, yes, these seven churches literally in Asia Minor to get this, but I want the church that's going to be serving me on this earth, my hands and my feet on this earth, to get this vision. I want them to see as much as humanly possible what you're about to see. You say, what was so important about us being able to see it? We're about to find out. Twelve different times in the book of Revelation, John sees something And Jesus tells him, God tells him to write it down. In other words, it is God's desire that we have this book. Again, we read a verse like verse number three. Remember what verse number three said? Blessed are those that read and those that hear, those that keep the words. This is the reason that's such a blessing, isn't it? Because this is not just the message of man. This is God's message given to us through his writer, John. And there's only one time in the book that John sees something and he's told not to write it. It's chapter 10, verse number 4. You say, what did he tell him to write? I don't know. You've got to wait to heaven to find that one out. But it's kind of, it's, by the way, if anybody ever writes in their commentary what, it, what he told them, you just go ahead and close that commentary up and put it up. Okay? We don't know. But we do know the other 12. John obviously has the supernatural experience. And here's the whole point. John, I want my church to see through the written word, what you're about to see. You say, what is it? Well, that takes us to Roman numeral three tonight, and that is John's indescribable vision. How do you write down in human words what John's about to see? Well, he does better than any of us could do, I think, doesn't he? Look at verse number 12. And this is where John sees Jesus at work in the church. Verse number 12 says, And I turn to see the voice that spake with me, And being turned, here's what he saw. I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. All right? 
We're going to divide this vision into three things, all right? This indescribable vision, the first one is this. He's going to describe to us the position of Christ in his church. The position of Christ in his church. You say, where's Christ today? Well, he's in heaven, right? Okay, well, look back at the passage. Look at verse 12. He says, I turned and see the voice, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. See, well, that's, that's already getting weird, right? I see seven candles, candle, uh, candlesticks glowing. Well, you say, what is that? Well, look all the way down at the last verse of chapter 1, because the Lord Jesus Christ tells us what that is, doesn't he? The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and we'll get to that in a minute, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and here it is, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven what? Churches, okay? So John, we already know who these churches are because we've already talked about them a little bit. But John starts to see the vision and he sees seven glowing, bright candlesticks. And the Bible tells us, Jesus interprets that for us, doesn't he? He says, this is the churches. These are the churches, okay? Now you say, well, they're candlesticks. Why are they candlesticks? Well, we know that, right? We are the light of the world, right? And by the way, if these are the same kind of candlesticks that were used in the temple, they're not wax candles, are they? They were oil-burning lamps that looked like candles. You say, man, there's a whole other image, isn't it? The Spirit of God in the Old Testament is compared to oil, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is our, Ephesians chapter 1, the one that seals us at salvation. In other words, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, isn't it? Jesus is the light of the world, and when he's in us, then we, and he left, he says, you are the light of the world. But you know what else he says about those candlesticks? He says they're golden candlesticks. What do you think of when you think of gold? Value. It's something that's valuable. Is the body of Christ valuable to Christ? He calls us his bride. If you're married in here, is your bride valuable to you? Think back to the day you got married. I can promise you there was nobody else in the room as valuable to you as that, for me, as that lady walking down the aisle. And it shouldn't ever change, right? But Christ values us. In fact, the Bible says this. He gave the precious blood of Christ as the payment for us. And here's these seven candlesticks, but that's not the good part. That's good because that's us, right? But who's standing in the middle of the candlesticks? Verse number 12 says, I turned and saw a voice speak of me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. You say, where is Jesus today? The Bible says the vision displays that he's standing in the midst of the church, isn't he? In the midst of the candlesticks. You say, well, you mean Jesus is that involved in the church today? And the answer is yes. Okay, think about it for a minute. Who is it that lights the candle? And let's just let's talk about one on, a one-on-one illustration. Individual Christians, person comes to know Jesus Christ, comes part of the body of Christ. That light is lit by the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? The Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God. First Peter says the living Word of God is what 
brings life into this dead soul. We're born again, right? Not by incorruptible seed, but by, or not by corruptible, but by incorruptible. And here's what it is. By the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. So Jesus comes in and he lights the candle. Well, then who takes care of the candle? Jesus is taking care of his church, isn't he? There's the picture of Christ standing in the middle of his church, not in the future, not in the past, now. Now. This is why Jesus wants John to write this down and say, give this to the church. They need to know that they're not doing this by themselves. They're not out here serving me in their own strength. At least they better not be, right? John chapter 15, I am the vine. He is the vine. I am the branch, right? I mean, I gotta be into the vine. I'm gonna be dead and fruitless. He says, we are the candlesticks and he is standing in the middle of the candlesticks. I think of Matthew chapter 18. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their what? Midst. There's Jesus in the middle of the body of Christ. That is his position. And man, if that's the only thing we had time to study tonight, you ought to leave encouraged, shouldn't you? Christ, you are in the middle of your church taking care of your candles. Now, you've got to be careful. You know what John, Jesus tells the first church that he sends his letter to? He says, you better change what you're doing or I'm going to remove the candle. In other words, Ephesus, and we're going to talk about all these in the future, he says, if you don't change, I'm going to stop using you. Wow. So there's the candle, the caretaker at work, right? But let's come back to number two. Number one, it's his position in the church, and that is in the middle of it. Number two, the description of Christ in his church. The description of Christ in his church. Look at verse 13. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. And here he begins to describe Jesus. He says he's clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. You say, what in the world is that? All right, you know what that is very, very similar to? If you read Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 29, if you read Exodus chapter 39, you see the description of the high priest's garments. A robe down to the feet, a robe down to the floor, a girdle that's, in fact, very specifically says that, the, that the, it is not complete without the girdle, the, the sash. In other words, here's Jesus wearing the garments of a who? A high priest. So here's Jesus, he's in the middle of his church. Here's his description. He's dressed in the garments in this vision of the high priest. All you have to do, if you want to see this in vivid color, is read Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. Our great high priest on display for us. The role that he's playing on our behalf. Not has been, not will be, but right now. Jesus is in the midst of his church and he's playing the part in the role of the great high priest. Tonight, we can go to him. We can come boldly unto the throne of grace, right? Isn't that what Ephesians says? And find grace to help in time of need. And the only reason we can do that, the only reason we can do that is because Jesus Christ is serving as our high priest right now. Right now. Number two, not only is he wearing the robes of the great high priest, but number two, his head and hair, verse 14 says, his head and hair, hairs were white like wool, 
as white as snow. What do you think of when you think of someone with white hair? What's that? We, I was, that's a great answer, isn't it? Some people said old. Some people said this. Somebody said wisdom. Isn't that what the Proverbs, book of Proverbs says? Talks about the wisdom of the white head. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 7, and boy, some of these visions of Daniel, we should study them together, and we will. Daniel chapter 7, we see a vision that Daniel has of God on his throne. He's described as the ancient of days. And his picture, the picture that we see of him is the same as this. His head, his hair is as white as wool, as white as snow. Certainly there may be many, many applications to that, but one of them, without a doubt, is this Savior that not only loved us and died for us and rose again for us, he's in the middle of his church serving as our high priest, and he is doing it, and we know this, right, with absolutely perfect wisdom. He is the ancient of day. He possesses all knowledge, all truth, all wisdom. And he's serving as our high priest in that role. Certainly it could be and probably is revealing and describing and displaying not only his wisdom, but his perfect holy wisdom. Let me, let me, let me illustrate it the way I think of it. Have you ever met someone who was elderly, maybe even the white hair, and they were doing their very best to give you their best wise advice, but you knew that all the advice they were given wasn't exactly the best advice. Now, truthfully, we should always be cautious, shouldn't we? There's an Old Testament story about a man who took some advice from some young kids instead of the elderly, and guess what happened to him? Didn't work out very well, right? There is wisdom in age living on this earth, and especially someone who's lived this earth with the Lord. But even the greatest human wisdom, the greatest Christian on this earth, is not wholly perfect wisdom the way the Lord Jesus Christ is. And here he is standing in the middle of the church serving as our great high priest with absolutely perfect, spotless wisdom. Number three, look at verse 14 again. He's described not only as having the garment of a high priest, head and hair as white as wool, but verse 14 says, and his eyes were as a flame of what? Fire. I almost thought about trying to put some pictures up of this. But you know what I thought? I started looking through some different people's illustrations of this, and I just think your imagination does a whole lot better job than somebody's painting could possibly do of this. Can you imagine seeing what looks like a man in a robe and his head and his hair are as white as snow and there are flames of fire coming from his eyes? And the idea there, if I understand the Greek word that's used there, it's like lightning bolts, almost like beams of, like laser beams. You say, well, what's the picture? What's it? teaching us what's the point of jesus being in the middle of his church with these streams of fire coming out of his eyes hold your place here just for a minute look over at hebrews chapter 4 will you hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 hebrews 4 verse 13 and by the way you will notice 
if we have time to get that far, we're going to keep coming back to Hebrews 4. Because Hebrews 4 is describing our great high priest, isn't it? Look what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his what? Sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we, there's us, right? With whom we have to do. You say, what is Christ doing in his church? He's serving as the great high priest. He's available. In fact, in James, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, come to God. He upbraids not. He will never turn you away and get upset at you for coming and asking the white-haired ancient of days for wisdom, right? But here's what he says. He says, not only did he have the wisdom of the white hair, he had the penetrating eyes of God Almighty because he is. Nothing, Hebrews chapter 4, talking about our great high priest, nothing is hid from the eyes of God, is it? I think of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember in the, in the book of Acts? Here's two that were in the body. They were trying to be deceitful and to trick the people that were around, but really trying to trick God. And God made, them, made an illustration out of them, didn't he? He says, look, you might be able to pull the wool over, and this is the way we say it, right? We might pull the wool over some of our eyes. We can't pull the wool over God's eyes. Those eyes that are the flame of fire that is coming out there is so penetrating, right, that it goes beyond anything that we can do to cover it up. In fact, when we get into chapters 2 and 3, that's what we're watching happen. Jesus is sending a spiritual report card to each of those churches, isn't he? he in, fact, here, in fact, look at it real quick. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Until the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. There's our image. I know thy what? And he says that to every church, doesn't he? He says, I know all about you. And some of them, he says, I know the good things you're doing and I know the things you need to prove. That's our Savior, isn't it? Tonight, in this church, Jesus Christ, yes, he's our great high priest. Praise the Lord for that. Yes, he's the source of all wisdom. But folks, listen, he can pierce into the deepest, darkest part of every part of our lives, can he? Now, part of that, sometimes when we say that, we come at it from a... um, a very uh, kind of shake your finger angle. You know what I mean by that? It's like Jesus sees everything you do, and that's true, isn't it? But you know what? Jesus sees every good thing you do. For him, nobody else in this room, nobody else on this planet might know what you're doing for God. But God knows. Now, the flip side of that's true too. Nobody else in this room or nobody else on this planet might know what you're doing outside of this room that is not pleasing to God, but God knows that, doesn't he? And that takes us to number four. Number one, he's serving as our great high priest. Number two, he is the source of all wisdom. Number three, his eyes are as a flame of fire. They're piercing into our lives and into his church. Number four, look at verse 15. And his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. What we know from the Old Testament, brass is a picture of judgment, isn't it? And here you can sort of visualize this, right? You ever seen somebody, I've never done this because I'm not a blacksmith, but somebody takes some kind of a metal and put it in the fire to where it's burning, red hot. In other words, the picture there 
It's pretty graphic, isn't it? God, even maybe angry, ready to judge, but where's he standing again? In the middle of his church. Now, you got your fingers still in Hebrews? Go back over there with me, will you? Hebrews chapter 12 this time. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 5. And I think God is a God of order, isn't he? And it's amazing to me that this comes after John describing his eyes. In other words, Jesus sees into the church with a penetrating view. He sees everything. And John then reminds us that God is judging his church. Not in a judgment for sin or for the penalty, but look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the, what's the next word? Chastening of the Lord, for nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Of who? Of him. Do you even see in, in this verse Christ's involvement in, in the church? When he comes and chastens, when he comes and rebukes, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, and listen to this, but he for our what? Prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You know what? I love my children. And I'm supposed to be responsible to chasten my children if they do wrong. To protect them, right? For, here's the key word here, right? For their profit. Not because I'm mad at them. Not because I'm angry and want to take out some frustration, but because I love them. And I grab my daughter, and you've done this to your children when you had them, or when your parents did this to you, and you sit them down and you say, now listen. And sometimes you got tears in your eyes. You say, so-and-so, I love you. In fact, I, I hate disciplining you. But I love you so much. I cannot let you live that way or act that way or say those things because... Honey, you don't understand that in 10 or 15 or 20 years, if you act like this, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin someone else's life. And then you take them and you do that thing that is so hard to do, but because you love them so much, you do and you discipline them. And here's Jesus, who's in the midst of his church. He's the great high priest. He's the one that's making intercession for us. He's available with all wisdom for us to come and and to get wisdom from. But he's looking into our lives. He's looking to our church. He sees everything good. He sees everything wrong. And here's what he says. He says, because I love you, church, because I love my body, I will come and chasten the church that I love. That's what he says, isn't it? And those feet that are of brass, and they're glowing, 
He's in his church in this image. Now we understand what this is leading to is the judgments that are coming, right? Later in the book of Revelation. But the picture that John is seeing, and he's told in verse 19, right, the things which thou hast seen and which are, is Jesus in his church. And boy, Jesus is at work today in the church, giving us wisdom, looking into our lives, and ready to correct and chasten if the need is there. And isn't it true, folks, in all of our lives, the need is there. Sometimes, more than others. But how many of you, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand, maybe just think about it. How many of you can think back to a time in your life where God brought such heavy conviction? Maybe even a time that you think is specifically a time where God was chastening you. And you look back on it now and you say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to chasten me, to correct me. Thank you for loving me enough not to let me just keep straying, but to bring me back. It's a loving God that does that. In fact, it would be what we deserve for God to say, look, you made that choice, just go on. But God in his love says, nope, come on back. Here's the God that we serve working in his church. Let me give you one more and we'll be done tonight. Look at number five. Number five, which by the way, I've got this in big letters and maybe you want to write this on yours. Underneath number four, have the right view of Christ. And I put this in parentheses, the well-rounded view. If you go and, and we may not get to another point, but I feel like the Lord wants me to say this. If you go turn on, and every now and then I do this because I'm, I'm kind of curious. I go turn on kind of mainline very, very popular Christian um, sources of influence. Maybe it's music. I want to kind of see what are their lyrics saying, or maybe it's a radio station. And I noticed this with the very, very popular ones. There is, there is tons about the love of God. And that's wonderful, right? It's, it's, we're supposed to, as, as Alvin reminds us, man, we're supposed to try to know something that's unknowable, continually growing in the knowledge of the love of God. There's all kinds of songs about forgiveness, right? And mercy and grace. But can I tell you what? I never, ever, ever hear on, hardly ever, on those very, very, very popular, and by popular I mean, you know, millions and millions of of church folks enjoy it. I don't hear number four on our list. I don't hear anymore people calling people back to holy living. Folks, listen. We cannot make up the Jesus we want to make up. And I'm not trying to be hard tonight. I just think we ought to be honest with each other and with ourselves and the word of God. We cannot make up the Jesus we want to make up. Jesus asked you and me, and he's displaying it in this picture He said, be ye holy, for I, God says, I am holy. And folks, we better not allow Satan to dupe us or trick us into playing around with sin. And it's so easy to do in the culture we live in, isn't it? Here's Jesus reminding us, listen, I am God who's merciful and your great high priest, but I am God who hates sin. 
I hate it so much, I died on the cross for it, to pay for it, the penalty of it. In fact, he tells us through Paul in Romans, he says, the law came so that sin would appear exceeding what? Sinful. Boy, as we see this vision tonight, now here's the wonderful thing, right? Now don't, you can't lose this side of it though. Hebrews says the reason God is chastening us and the reason God will come and correct us is for our profit because he loves us. Hey, folks, tonight, we'll finish this next, next Sunday night, but listen, you and I have a Savior who didn't do the work in the church. He's doing it right now. He is still working in his church through his Holy Spirit that he sent to comfort us and guide us and rest. He is doing it through that daily relationship that we can have with him and get plugged in and drink the juice from the vine, right? And he, in fact, I, I read a book a few years ago about teenagers because I was working with teenagers and, of course, still, still am. And they asked the teenagers in that uh, some kind of a survey, I think it was a youth group, they said, well, what do you, if you could see something in your parents, what was the one thing you would change about your Christian parents? And this is what the survey of the kids said. Overwhelmingly, they said, and it had to do with what would you see about church or about Christianity. They said, we want to see something to the effect of that a real relationship between our parents and Jesus. In other words, what they were trying to say, I think, was we don't just want to, we feel like our parents just took us to church. Church is important, isn't it? You know what's more important than coming to church? Having a genuine, authentic, daily real relationship with Jesus Christ. And folks, listen. Salvation was not the end of your relationship with Jesus. Salvation gave you the ability to have a relationship with God. And so the rest of our lives are supposed to be, I get to do now what Adam and Eve did in the garden. I get to talk to God And God talks to me. And it's real. And I don't just go to church. I don't just do religious stuff. I get to have a relationship with Jesus. I get to talk to God. And my kids don't think I just go to church. They think Jesus is real. And he really talks to dad. And kind of like the vice president, he must be nuts because he talks to Jesus. And he says Jesus talks back to him. Folks, is Jesus that real to you? He's supposed to be. He's supposed to be. And if he isn't, it's not his fault. It's ours. I can promise you, if you will get along with Jesus, he will be more real to you than he ever has been before. The question is, will we do it? He is there as our high priest. He has the wisdom available for us. He's looking into our lives. He sees the good and the bad. He's ready to correct us because he loves us. How will we respond to the Savior that loves us this much? Let's pray, all right? Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, we are overwhelmed and humbled by what we are seeing through what John has described to us. Father, that you have not just, just like you told your disciples, Lord, when you left them, When you ascended up to the Father, Lord, you didn't leave them helpless or hopeless. You didn't leave them without a power source, without a comforter or a guide. Lord, you you sent your Holy Spirit 
And now, Father, you indwell each of us to correct us, to instruct us, to give us wisdom, to make intercession for us. Father, may we never take for granted what you're doing in our lives. May we not grow deaf to what you're doing, what you're saying, and how you're dealing with us. May we grow more and more sensitive in our relationship with you. May it grow sweeter and sweeter as we sing about, Lord. May it go sweeter as the years go by. May it grow deeper as the years go by. May our love for you grow more and more and more. And Lord, may we never be satisfied in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives even tonight. Help us to be sensitive to you. Help us to truly desire to be your bride and to live for you and love you and serve you with every breath. Help us not to waste them, but to use them for you each and every day in Jesus' name. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed tonight. Just going to give you an opportunity. Just talk to the Lord for just a moment. Piano's going to play just two verses. You talk to the Lord there if you need to. Certainly you're welcome and invited to come here to the altar. But we talk to the Lord tonight. Maybe you'd like to just thank him for working in your life. Maybe you'd like to thank him for convicting you when you do wrong. Maybe you'd like to thank him and say, Father, thank you that you're my intercessor, that I can talk to God through you. Tonight, you just talk to the Lord and do business with him.